Good morning. Um, the gospel reading is very nice. It talks about um, asking and receiving, and that would um, be a nice thing to preach on this morning, but I can't ignore Hosea. Um, Hosea is this prophet that we read about this morning that God commands to marry an unfaithful woman. What are we going to do with that? That's hard reading. That's a hard topic, um, and I think it's important for us to tackle because it is a message of grace and redemption, um, and it's frankly amazing what Hosea is saying to us. So we're going to look at Hosea, (coughs) and what we'll realize in this book, and specifically the first three chapters, which we'll kind of do an overview of this morning, is that Hosea, the prophet, is... He's, he's a living parable, if you will, a living story. He, through his marriage and these children, is reenacting God's relationship to Israel. Um, and that's, that's going to be the, the basis for all of the book, is this sort of reenacted prophecy that he's doing here at the beginning. Many of the upper, other prophets, the God, Lord calls and he says, go and proclaim this to my nation, my people, Israel. Um, but Hosea, his first command is to go and marry this woman. Go and marry this unfaithful woman. This woman who will leave you and cheat on you and, and basically have you in a miserable marriage. Um, that's what Hosea is about. It's fascinating. So before we get there, let's consider this history that Hosea is reenacting. Israel is the chosen people of God. The people that um, began with Abraham. And then um, they're the descendants of Abraham. They eventually moved to Egypt. They were in slavery. God rescued them from slavery and brought them into the promised land, into what is now the nation of Israel. And along the way, he made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai. And he says, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. I'm giving you the law so that you can be holy. So that, like, like we prayed this morning, so that when people look at you, Israel, they will see a nation that reflects a glorious and loving God. That was the point. That was their purpose, to be a light to the nations. And it went okay for a little while. Not long, really. It took about ten minutes. Um, they started worshiping other gods. They made a golden calf, for instance, right there in, in the desert. And they started worshiping this golden calf um, shortly after the Lord made this covenant with them. And it was like that for a very long time. But nevertheless, God made them a nation. Um, and they were one nation. And Carrie's going to pull up a map. We've got a little geography lesson for you this morning. Um, they were one nation um, for a very long time. And then after King Solomon died, um, for those of you who don't know, he was the third king of Israel. After Solomon died, Israel split into two. Okay, there were ten tribes in the north, two in the south. The northern kingdom, as you see there, is called Israel. The southern kingdom, as you see, is called Judah. Jerusalem is the capital of Judah. Samaria is the capital of Israel. Um, And so what we have then is Hosea preaching to this northern kingdom, to Israel. Because if you, you see where Syria is, in a few short years after Hosea, the Assyrians are going to sweep in from the north and the west. They're going to just wipe this northern country off the map. Completely wipe them off the map. They'll deport their people. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be gone. Some people will say the people will stay, will intermarry with the Assyrians. They'll um, become half-breds. And we actually start to get a picture of why in the New Testament... The Samaritans 
um, are so hated by the Jews. Because they were worshiping false gods, they weren't following Israel, they intermarried with non-Jews after this invasion. And that's all, this is all the history that leads up to that. That's a total aside, but just so you know what's going on. So, judgment is coming on Israel. Why? Because they are worshiping false gods, specifically the, a god called Baal. They are worshiping Baal. They are um, sacrificing to him. They are praying to him. They are, you know, if they're in a drought, they ask Baal to send rain. If they need food, they ask Baal to send food. All these things that they need, instead of turning to the God who delivered them from slavery in Egypt, they're chasing after Baal, this false god. That's the setting of Hosea. They're unfaithful. Israel is unfaithful. And so God says, Hosea, I want you to be my prophet. And here's what I want you to do. And you can, you know, if God calls you to be a prophet, that's a tough job. And especially for Hosea. He wants him to marry an unfaithful woman. And to continue to love her and serve her and pursue her. And so he marries a woman named Gomer. Gomer is unfaithful to him very quickly, and Gomer gives Hosea, well, she gives Hosea, we know of, one children. There's two other children. We don't know who the father is of these other children. And their names are symbolic, because remember, Hosea is living out a parable. He's living out Jesus, uh, uh, Israel's relationship to God, and he's reenacting it. And so the first name of these children is Jezreel. Jezreel, um, if you read, if you read verse 4, the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Okay, so we've got this one child, his name is Jezreel. What, what, what does this mean? What, what's going on? Well, on one hand... And we'll come back to this, so keep this in in your mind. Jezreel, that word in Hebrew, literally means God sows, or God will sow. We're not farmers, so we don't exactly know what sow means, but it means God will plant a seed. God will plant a seed so that a bush or a tree may grow and bear fruit. So, So that's a good thing, this name Jezreel. But it has another meaning. It's a significant city in this northern kingdom of Israel. And here in Jezreel, a wicked king, his name was Ahab, um, actually murdered a faithful Israelite so he could steal his vineyard. Okay? Ahab was a Baal worshiper, the Israelite, um, the faithful Israelite worshiped God, and Ahab had him murdered, spilled his blood in Jezreel so he could steal his vineyard. Several years later, Ahab's descendants were actually murdered in Jezreel. Lots of violence, lots of blood spilled in the city of Jezreel. And that's what this name symbolizes. It symbolizes Israel's unfaithfulness. It symbolizes their violence. It symbolizes their turning from God to the God of Baal. So the first child of Gomer and Hosea, Jezreel. Second child is this. The translation we read from the NIV, um, the second child's name was No Love. In this translation that I'm preaching from, the the name is No Mercy, but but they're essentially the same. 
Verse 6, she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, call her name No Mercy, for I will have no more mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. And so now we have Jezreel. So Jezreel symbolizes Israel's unfaithfulness. And now we have No Mercy. This is a child probably not Hosea's, and named no mercy because God is saying, I'm finished. I'm done. I will extend my mercy to this unfaithful people no more. No mercy. They've turned to a false god, and I'm going to let them go on their way. I will not show my mercy on these people anymore. And he didn't. Judgment came very soon after this prophecy. Like I said, the Assyrians swept in and totally deported them third child. When she had weaned no mercy, Gomer conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. So we have this third child born to Gomer, Not my people. How hard would that have been for the Israelites? How devastating would that have been? Because their identity, who they were, were, what they were bound up in is the God who saved them. The God who made them a people. In in Leviticus, God is talking to them about the, um, the blessings that flow from this covenant relationship. And he says, I will walk among you. What an amazing relationship. God will walk among them. I will walk among you. And will be your God, and you shall be my people. And now, in Hosea, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Why? Why is God judging? This people, this people that he saved and rescued and made from nothing and made a a covenant with them. Why is this judgment coming? Well, chapter 2 is very telling. Just um, listen to this verse. Chapter 2, verse 13 says this. This is why God is punishing her. I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals. I will punish her. Why? For the feast days of the Baals. When she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me declares the Lord. They were unfaithful. They completely deserted the God who saved them, who made them a people, who promised them this covenant relationship. They deserted Him. Uh, We'll we'll read some other verses. Chapter 2, verse 5b. She said, I will go after my lovers. So this is Israel is saying this. I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my wine, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Verse 8. This is God speaking now. She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Unfaithful Israel has turned. They've turned to Baal. They're praying to Baal. They're following Baal. Um, And in the midst of all this, the Lord continues to provide for them. He shows mercy on them. They have a drought. He sends rain. They need food. He sends food, all the while inviting them to come back. And what do they do? They receive these things from God, and they turn to Baal and say, thank you. Do you see that? 
They have completely and totally turned their back on God and following this false god. They've been unfaithful, and, and judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. Now, these words, these words should be terribly um, convicting to us, shouldn't they? There, there is something, and I don't know what it is for you. I could guess. I could probably um, figure it out. But, but there's something in each one of our hearts that is taking precedence over God. There's something in your heart that is taking precedence over God. Now, it could be something very bad and evil, or it could be something that's actually very good. It could be, I don't know, kids, it could be school. Is school taking precedence over your relationship with God? Or sports? Are you pursuing these things and leaving God behind? What is it? Adults? Is it your job? Is it money? Is it your families even? Are you pursuing these things at the expense of the God who gave them to you? These aren't bad things. School, sports, money, jobs, these are good things. But when we elevate them above God, they become ultimate things. Right? What is the ultimate thing for you? Is it God or is it, is it something else? And here's the problem, even beyond that, Not only do we elevate things above God, we actually give thanks to the wrong God for giving us these things. Who do we thank? The Israelites thank Baal. We thank ourselves, don't we? Right? We do well in business. We say, well, I've worked so hard. I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I built that company from the ground up. Right? Give yourself thanks. Maybe you thank your um, education. Maybe you worked hard at school to get a good degree so that you could have a good job. Well, I had a great education, and so I've made these advancements in my life. We receive good things from God. We make them ultimate things, and then we thank ourselves. And Hosea has a word for us. These names, Jezreel, no mercy, not my children, those names are our names. We deserve those names. We've been unfaithful. We've turned from God. We've pursued other gods and other things. We deserve to be called no mercy. We deserve to be called not my children. But praise God that Hosea does not end in chapter 1. Chapter 3, um, we're going to pull that up on the screen. I just, we're going to look at the first two verses. Something has happened. So Hosea, uh, Gomer has become increasingly unfaithful to Hosea. Um, she's, she's given birth to these children, and apparently she has left her husband. Okay, she's gone. And not only has she left him, but she's descended to the point where she um, has had to, I'm guessing, sell herself or somehow become a slave to someone else. Okay, this is how low she is falling. It would take a very strong man or woman to pursue their spouse continually, even at that point. But look what the Lord says in chapter 3. The Lord said to me, he said to Hosea, Go again, 
love a woman, so love Gomer, who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So what does Hosea do? So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lettuce of barley. I don't know what that stuff is, but the point is this. Hosea pursues Gomer. He goes after her. He goes down into slavery and he buys her back. He ransoms her so that he could love her. Two things to notice about this passage. One is simply this. Hosea is called to love Gomer. He's not called to tolerate her because he's married to her. God says, Hosea, go and love her. The second thing to note, like I mentioned, is Hosea buys her back. He gives up something. He pays a price so that he could love his unfaithful wife. Does that sound familiar? These words are written 700 years before Jesus was born. And yet here we have in Jesus, the Son of God, who looks, looks down on us and he sees an unfaithful people, as we said, a people pursuing other gods, a people who have completely turned their back against God. And what does he do? He chases after us. He comes for us. He pays a price so that he can love us as his people. What an amazing thing that Jesus Christ would ransom us, not with money, but with his life. That he would come down from heaven to pursue an unfaithful wife and to give up his life so that he could bring her back. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Those names that I told you we deserve, Jezreel, no mercy, not my children, Jesus Christ took those names on himself. He cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why are you having no mercy on me? My God, my God, why am I not your son? He takes those names on us, so on himself, so we can have new names. So that our names can be changed. But to what are they changed? The end of chapter 2. In that day I will answer, declares the Lord... I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. They shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. That's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He's given us new names. He's given us new life. No longer are we Jezreel, this symbol of judgment. We are Jezreel, God sowing a seed in us so that we could proclaim the fruit of the gospel. No longer are we not pitied. No longer are we not loved. We are loved. We are shown mercy. We are given forgiveness through Jesus Christ. No longer are we not God's people. But we are the people of God. A couple of thoughts. This is not news to many of you. Many of you have heard this in one form or another. 
And so the challenge then for you is to ask yourself this question. How am I going to be Hosea to an unfaithful world? What relationships need the love and grace and mercy of Hosea in them in your life? You've received that from God. How are you going to offer that to somebody else? How deep and low and difficult is that going to take you? How costly is it going to be? Nevertheless, we're called to be Hosea's to an unfaithful world. And for some of you, you probably possibly came here this morning thinking, I am so bad, I am so awful, there's nothing I can do to make God love me, there's nothing I can do to receive His mercy, there's nothing I can do to be one of His people. And the message of this is there's nothing you can do to make God love you less than He already does. And there's nothing you can do to make Him love you more. He loves you because He made you and He created you. And He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem you. And that is there for the taking. It's on the table. Whenever you want to receive that, you just pray, Lord, I'm I'm ready. And He will be our God. And we will be His people. Let's pray. Lord, you have redeemed us. You have ransomed us. You have bought us so that we could be your people, so we could receive your mercy. And I I pray, Lord, that we would be convicted to show that mercy in our lives, that your Holy Spirit would live and move in us and that we would be a people of mercy, that we would be Hosea's to an unfaithful world. And I pray, Lord, for the folks in here, if there's anyone who hasn't heard this before, that this is complete news to them, Lord, that you would show them your love for them. Show them how much it costs you to pursue them and how you did it all because you want them to be your people, that you want them to receive your mercy, that you want to sow your seed of grace in us, that we would bear the fruit of the gospel to this world that so desperately, desperately needs it. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.